This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And last week it was bird orgy. Oh, like, wow. oh my God! Be recording. God. Record. It was amazing how many different species of birds were having sex in my garden, <laughs> and the funniest were the quail. <laughs> so there are similarities to the Castro. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Except I learned that birds, with the exception of ducks and geese, don't have penises. They don't. Oh, I did not no, know that. No, so there's no, which explains the females' behavior because the quail love picking. I, I'm assuming bugs out of my garden. And so the female will be there doing her thing, just pe- pe- eating, and he just hops on and, and she doesn't even pay him no mind at all. She's not even looking back like, see, even at my age, I'm learning things. See, I had no Heather, idea. You just learned something you didn't know. This is the best sound check ever. I think yeah. we should just throw away our questions no, and go just, down this road. Let's talk about avian sex. <laughs> let's rename the podcast, Avian Sex. Hello, Heather Knight, and welcome to our Total SF AIDS Quilt episode. And our listeners just heard my favorite mic check ever, which turned out to be about all the bird sex going on in Cleve Jones's yard in Guerneville. Not what I was expecting. Not what I was expecting either. That was a funny and welcome surprise. In case listeners don't know, Cleve Jones is a legend in San Francisco's LGBTQ history. He worked closely with Harvey Milk, and it was his idea to create the AIDS quilt, which will be on display in Golden Gate Park this weekend. Yeah, and we recorded in the brand new public park behind the Chronicle building. Really nice park. A little bit of a surge in COVID. We want to protect Cleve Jones at all costs. Was that the worst idea in Total SF history recording in that park? Definitely on the top five. Um, We thought it would be a a safe and charming place to record outdoors to try to be safe from the COVID surge, but it was extremely loud. I felt like there were secret microphones amplifying every single little noise around us. It was really distracting to Cleve. I felt bad for him, but but he was a trooper. Yeah, I mean, he's an absolute legend. If there's one person I want the sound to be perfect, it's Cleve Jones. When we're like screwing around with one of our other friends, you know, a little bit of noise wouldn't bother me as much. Um, every distracting sound imaginable was in that plaza. There was a garbage can being wheeled on cobblestones, which I didn't realize how loud that sound was, and a propeller plane. I'm not kidding. It was like a clipper plane from the 1930s passing over us. I don't know what weird flight plan the Chronicle is on. And I think I have some audio, Heather, which I, I pulled out that we'll play right now who organized every year the annual tribute. That's some is kind that of even weird... from this century? <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. It's like a clipper plane. We're going to have an from... antique air show over here. While we're, to... we're never recording in this park again. Never. We're almost done. <laughs> So as you said, Cleve was a trooper, and after heavy editing, this is a great episode. We talk about his first trip to San Francisco, his very first time he set eyes on the city, the origin of the AIDS quilt, and we talk about the continued importance of the movement. Cleve has been in the news lately for a... um 
a fight over an eviction from his apartment in the Castro. So that was probably the last time listeners have heard about him. He talks about that a little bit in the episode. Um, Also talks a lot about the um, comparison between the COVID-19 pandemic and the AIDS pandemic and his frustrations that we haven't seemed to learn much from either one. So this is a serious, important episode, a little deeper and heavier than listeners may be used to, but totally worthwhile. Totally worthwhile. And also with the bird sex. (laughs) Thank God for the bird sex. So the AIDS quilt is back this weekend, June 11th and 12th in Robin Williams Meadow in Golden Gate Park. There's a 9.30 a.m. opening ceremony on Saturday, and the public can come and see the quilt from 10 to 5 each day. Um, 3,000 panels, there's 54,000 total, but 3,000 will be out there. A couple of football fields at least in size. It's the largest display in San Francisco history and a big return after the quilt was moved back from Atlanta to the Bay Area. I'm really looking forward to checking it out. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight. Cleve Jones is coming up and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Well, Cleve Jones, welcome to Total SF. Uh, welcome to the Chronicle and our brand new parklet here. I think yeah. uh, I think you're one of the first people here. Do you have a review? It looks pretty cool. I like it. What do you think about San Francisco circa 2022? It's changed so much since you arrived in the 1970s, and and I know you just came into the city from Guerneville. Uh, what what do you think about the city when you drive in here? Ah, uh, you know, it's a heartbreaker. Uh, but it's still one of the most beautiful places on the planet, and it still has some of the most extraordinary people. What I find uh, most troubling is the increasing gap between rich and poor, and how we see such really grotesque poverty side by side with such enormous wealth. And it troubles me, and I'm not trying just to make a political point, but just walking around the city, that disturbs me. and seeing the number of people that are uh, without shelter is very frightening and, and sad to me. But I still, uh, I still love San Francisco, and wherever I end up, I will always be a San Franciscan at heart. Do you remember your f- very first visit to the city um, and what you thought about it back then? The, I remember the first time I, I saw San Francisco, I, I recounted in my book, When We Rise, um, I was at a Quaker gathering in the East Bay in Moraga. I was very involved with the Society of Friends in my youth. And uh, I got a ride to the city, and we came over the Bay Bridge. And it was about four in the afternoon, so f- of course the fog was tumbling over Twin Peaks. And there used to be a coffee roasting plant right there at the base of the Bay Bridge. And what I remember is that amazing smell of the marine air, the fog layer, the coffee, and seeing that fog. Um, I had spent my high school years in Phoenix in a suburb, and so the architecture here just uh, immediately amazed me. The idea that you would have these Victorians that came right down to the sidewalk, and you could walk by the sidewalk, and and you were just six feet from somebody in their their living room. Um, I, I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Well, we're talking today because of a very important event coming up on June 11th and 12th in Golden Gate Park. About 3,000 panels of the AIDS Memorial Quilt will be on display 
in Robin Williams Meadow, and it'll be the largest ever display of the quilt here in San Francisco. What does this event mean to you? Well, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, when I posted it on Facebook, I was just blown away by how many thousands of people uh, responded to that post. And I know for certain that people are flying in from all over the country, and I think people from out of the country as well. So it's going to be a, uh, there's certainly going to be a reunion element to it. But I'm also uh, very excited about it I, because this is part of a process that we're being very deliberate about to remind people of what happened during that pandemic. And as we see what has unfolded here in the last two years, it just underscores how important that we pay attention to the history of these things. Because I'll tell you, as a 67 year old man who's now lived through a second pandemic, it's pretty frustrating to see so many of the same mistakes repeated. And so this isn't just about sentimentality or nostalgia or remembrance or memorialization. It's about remembering the hard lessons that history should teach us. What lessons do you think we failed to learn from the AIDS crisis that we're now seeing be repeated with COVID? Oh my gosh, you know, we could spend an hour on it, yes. but the parallels are quite extraordinary. And of course, the diseases themselves are very different. The pathology is, you know, it's different, different virus, different outcome, different mortality level. But um, it started, I hate to say this, but it starts with a, having a Republican president in both cases who failed to perceive the gravity of the situation, who mocked it, who laughed at the people who were afflicted, who attempted to other it. You know, when, it, when he started talking about the Chinese virus, uh, you know, in my brain, I'm hearing the gay virus. It's just like, um, and also the racial disparities in outcome, in higher levels of infection, hospitalization and death among communities of color, particularly black Americans, uh, the importance of having trusted uh, messengers and how difficult it is for people to trust science if you're an American. It's so weird, like this, this anti-science thing continues. Once again, we see angry people storming school board meetings to complain about what their children are being informed about this you know, public health crisis. It's, it's just been astonishing to me. Yeah. Well, um, back to the quilt. When was the last time you saw so many panels together in one place? I don't think I've seen this big a display in a decade or longer. Uh, the biggest display, of course, was in Washington, D.C. in 92 when we covered the entire mall. Right. Uh, from the steps of the Capitol to the Washington Monument. So this is going to be very, very moving, I'm sure. Uh, the quilts back in the Bay Area before the the um, most recent pandemic hit, it moved back, I think, from Atlanta. How did you feel about that? How did it feel having the quilt somewhere other than the Bay Area? And how do you feel about it being back in a warehouse here in the Bay Area? Well, I'll tell you, one of the worst mistakes I ever made in my life was allowing the quilt to leave San Francisco. I couldn't have stopped it. I was quite ill at the time. I didn't want it to happen, but it happened. And it was in Atlanta for 19 years, and fortunately was well, well cared for. Um, I am so grateful to have it back. And it's not just about having it back, but it's about who's in charge now. And as I'm sure you know, <clears throat> the people who created the AIDS Memorial Grove in Golden Gate Park, the National AIDS Memorial now includes both the Grove and the quilt. 
and it's a perfect marriage. The idea uh, was not mine. Uh, the credit goes to Dan Bernal from Speaker Pelosi's office. Take me back to when the quilt was first conceived. Do you remember those first meetings? So the story of the AIDS Memorial quilt is very linked to the story of Harvey Milk and George Moscone, who were murdered in City Hall on November 27, 1978. Every year since, on the anniversary of the murders, there is some sort of observation of that tragedy. Uh, back in the day, you know, that was big, huge candlelight marches from the Castro down to City Hall. And in 1985, I organized that annual tribute, and it happened to be the same week that the death toll from AIDS in San Francisco hit 1,000. And I was very struck by that figure because, of course, the overwhelming majority of those who had died had lived and died within just a few blocks of the intersection of Castro and Market, my neighborhood. These were my neighbors. These were my friends. And when I heard that number, I, I, I just got kind of obsessed with the lack of evidence. People were disappearing. Often there was not an obituary. People were ashamed of what caused the death. The families would come in from Iowa or wherever and dispose of the body and sell the furniture. And people were just disappearing. And my friends were disappearing. And we were all struggling with the need to find a way to warn the world of what was coming. Now, I flunked biology in high school, but I knew pretty sure there was no such thing as a gay disease. And we knew this would spread. So we were all you know, grappling with this. And that night as we marched, I had everybody make placards with the names of their friends who had been killed by the new disease. And we marched to City Hall and left our candles there for Harvey and for George. And then we went to the old federal building at UN Plaza. And we'd hidden some extension ladders in the shrubbery. And we climbed up with big rolls of tape on our wrists. And we covered the gray stone facade of the old federal building with this patchwork of cardboard with names. And as I looked at that, I thought to myself, that's some kind of strange quilt. And I immediately thought of my grandma and my great grandma back in Bee Ridge, Indiana and the quilts that they'd made. And that was the idea. We'll be right back after this short break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, there are so many panels now. We displayed one commemorating former Chronicle reporter Randy Schultz in our newsroom recently. Do you have any favorite panels or ones that really stick in your mind for creativity or they're touching or unusual? Uh, it was something I wasn't prepared for. I, I, I created the quilt as a weapon. I, uh, there was very little sentimentality about what I was trying to do. I was trying to illustrate the enormity of the crisis. I was trying to shame the government. I was trying to give you folks in the media a visual that could you know, help people understand what we were going through. But I, uh, and, and by the way, everybody told me it was the stupidest thing they'd ever heard of. Really? You know, they said, oh, well, this is such them. a dumb idea. But then when people started making them, what blew my mind was the artistry. The first quilts that I made were very basic, not very exciting at all. But uh, they st when they started to come in, and then when they started to come in from other countries and other cultures, that was even more astonishing. I think 
the quilts that I enjoy the most are the ones that I don't quite understand because it's such a personal message from the panel maker to the to the deceased person. Mm-hmm. Like an inside yeah, joke it, or something. Yeah, the, exactly. There's some sort of inside joke or, you know, and also I had it in my mind that families would spend time together uh, creating these things as, as sort of therapy. And I also had it in my mind that so many American families of all different kinds of families are dispersed across the country. And sure enough, there are many quilt panels that are themselves made up of little sections where the nieces and the nephews in Ohio made part of it and, and uh, grandma in Iowa sewed it together. And, you know, it was, it's, it's very cool the way it all worked out. And the beauty of it still takes my breath away. It's become part of pop culture. Um, I was talking, we were talking to Tony Bravo, who's, if I die or I'm indicted, he's the understudy for this podcast. (laughs) I've already lined him up. I think I'm going to be gone soon. (laughs) But um, he was talking about it's a major plot point in the final season of Pose. It's something that just continues. Have you noticed that? Do you have feelings about that? Do you kind of track how it's continued in pop culture? You know, we go through cycles, and it's very interesting to me, it seems that a certain amount of time has to pass before a new generation looks at it. Um, With Harvey, for example, Harvey with milk was being forgotten. I was out on the road constantly, decade after decade, speaking to often to LGBTQ student groups, and I'd say, how many of you know who Harvey Milk was? Nobody knew who he was. And then Sean Penn played him in a film that won two Oscars, and suddenly people knew who Harvey Milk was. It was also the amount of time that had passed. So we're now at that point, coming up, it's 40 years since the beginning of the pandemic, so people are now looking back at it. And I think it's terribly important. We already, uh, you know, I I, I often speak of the parallels between COVID and, and HIV AIDS, but also people need to be prepared to fight. We are in a very perilous time. Our democracy is at stake. And many people are going on about their lives as if something unprecedented is not unfolding all around us, but it is unfolding all around us. And when AIDS came to this town and took so many of us, we had to fight in ways we could never have even imagined. No one could have predicted the horror that was AIDS. And now I think we face a new horror, and I want young people to benefit from examples of times in our past when people of all different backgrounds came together to fight the common foe. We need that attitude again. Mm-hmm. You've talked very powerfully about the death of the gayborhood. What's your hope for the future of queer spaces in San Francisco? So as some of your listeners know, I recently lost my apartment in the Castro, and it was a, a brutal struggle. and. Uh, not something that I could sustain, um, but I'm fine. You know, I I knew that the day would come and I was prepared for it. But it was interesting that even I, with all my unearned privilege as a white man in America, with a good job and politically connected, with good lawyers, none of that was sufficient to keep me in my home. And this is part of a much larger pattern that we see all across the country and in Europe and Australia as well, where the neighborhoods, the identifiable geographic spaces that have been inhabited for decades by large numbers, significant percentages of the people now called LGBTQ, are going away. 
And there are many reasons for it, including technology and grinder and increased acceptance. But mostly it has to do with economics, that these neighborhoods, which began as sort of marginalized areas, have now become some of the most expensive real estate on the planet. So the neighborhoods are going away. And this often gets trivialized into, you know, complaining about bachelorette parties invading gay bars. And yes, they're super <laughs> annoying and shouldn't do it. But uh, it's, it's really uh, much more serious and people need to look at it because there are almost no institutions within the LGBTQ community that are, that are more than 50 years old. And when we lose the neighborhoods, we lose a lot. We lose the political power that we get when we live in precincts and can elect our own and defeat our enemies. We lose the ability to provide specialized social services to the most vulnerable among us, our elderly, our children, our transgender friends, our long-term HIV survivors. And we lose the cultural vitality that happens when creative people are inhabiting the same space. And I, you know, I collaborate with people online all the time. I get that. But there's nothing like that magic that happens when sculptors and poets and choreographers and dancers and filmmakers are in the same space. So I would argue that even people who have never been to a neighborhood, who have no desire to visit or live in a neighborhood, who may even you know, deride the notion as a gay ghetto, even they benefit from what came out of the neighborhoods, because what came out of the neighborhoods were the politicians that passed the legislation that decriminalized us and gave us rights. What came out of the neighborhoods were models for social services and care that benefit all sorts of people. And that cultural vitality that created the marching bands and the film festivals and everything else that has taken the, the, all of the, the best of our community and made it visible uh, to everyone. So. I am concerned and I, I wish that people would pay attention to it and pay attention to the need to create institutions that could be reasonably expected to last another 50 years. Um, and, and the younger people who have grown up with so many uh, options that were unavailable to my generation, um, they don't, they don't quite, they can't understand that this is all still really brand new. That is wonderfully said, and I'm so glad. It's like it's like it's very powerful, and the wind died down, and no <laughs> 1930s Clipper propeller planes passed over you while you said we it. We caught the whole thing. You're very eloquent. <laughs> well, has, I, it's been challenging here today. <laughs> I think I think uh, I think that's a wonderful sentiment to to end on and get to. Heather, I think you have the silly part of our program we, here. I don't. We can stop now, or there's a fun little lightning round where it's like silly questions if you're up for it well we'll see <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well you've covered a lot of serious and heartfelt topics but we usually end with our funny lightning round if you're up for it um hopefully no propeller planes will pass overhead where in san francisco is your favorite place to get a burrito that's a sad story for me because all my oh. favorite burrito places are gone. <laughs> oh, no. My current favorite burrito place is the taco truck in Guerneville. Oh, that's good. Well, when we visit you for the bird sex yeah, episode, we'll it's go awesome. there. <laughs> Safeway parking lot. <laughs> What's your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Duh. Come on. <laughs> Milk. That's what I figured. Where's your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? The Mix on 18th Street. Nice. What was your first concert? In my life? Uh-huh. 
I think my first concert was Janis Joplin. Ooh, wow. Oh, good one. Where? Where? Tempe, Arizona. Awesome. Oh, fantastic. What what venue? Is it the Majestic? It the Sun Devil Stadium, maybe? Oh, okay. It was an outdoor stadium. That's awesome. Yeah. What was the last book you read? Um, I'm just starting um, Orwell's Roses by Rebecca Solnit. Oh, cool. What is your favorite small business in the Castro? Oh, now you're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> I love all our small businesses in the Castro and hope they all survive and thrive. <laughs> but if you go to the Castro, uh, you know about Cliff's Variety Store. Oh, yes. um, I love that place. Owned by the same family since the 30s. Um, they're wonderful people and I adore them. Yeah, my grandparents immigrated from Mexico to San Francisco and settled in what they called Eureka Valley. Yeah. And I get Cliff's Variety stores from my mom all the time. So <laughs> yeah. Kids I love, love going it. by there. Last question. What is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? A motorcycle ride? Because <laughs> there's a guy coming by. Okay, he's gone. <laughs> uh, I would say at this point in my life, after the last few months, what I try to do every day is just pause and count my blessings. I carry around a lot of anger. I have a lot of scar tissue. And yet I am an extremely fortunate man. I have love in my life. I have dear friends and I live in a beautiful place. And I try every day to remind myself that I am a lucky man. That's a great That's message beautiful. to end on. Well, thank you for braving this very loud park, and it was great to talk to you. Yeah, and the quilt, let's uh, one more time just let people know what, what uh, days is it available and um, best way to see it. Yes, the quilt will be on display at Robin Williams Meadow. For those of you who aren't exactly sure where that is, it's right at the base of Hippie Hill. And it's going to be a large display. It opens on the Saturday the 11th at 9.30 a.m. is the opening ceremony. Uh, we'll be open till 5 and then again the, uh, the next day on Sunday the 12th. So come to Golden Gate Park and see the quilt. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Total SF is a production of The Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com pod. Hummingbirds are hilarious. They're like little, little teeny weeny little jackhammers. <laughs> and the males do this thing where they, they go straight up and then straight down and wow. straight up and straight down. And the females are like, oh, oh you, know, you can jump, you can jump. You know, there it's, it's just so cute. And the finch, so the, uh, the hummingbirds like to mate in my weeping cherry tree. The doves like to hide out in the olive trees. Wow. 
finches will do it anywhere. The, the quail do it on the ground. <laughs> and the ravens do it in the air. Oh my gosh, that's tricky. All, all the birds around my house are so chaste. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe I'm just not paying attention. I think we need to do a sequel in your garden so we can see this firsthand. 